Hello and welcome back to the adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, Lola discovered that she was the weakest link in the battle between Tech Spania and J-Block. In this episode, we are going to return to North Korea. We are going to learn more about the two North Korean hackers, Park Jae-bong and Kim Dae-won. So, without any further delay, let's get back to the story. The Adventures of Lola Badiola Chapter 16 The Mickey Mouse Watch Park and Kim knew more about the security systems in Division 6523 of the Ministry of Information than anyone else. This meant that when the office was quiet, they could override their own firewalls and surf the World Wide Web without any impediments. Park liked to follow international news and sports channels, while Kim preferred hacking streaming services to watch cartoons. The previous week, they had successfully breached the defences of Texpania and caused the share price of the company to fall by more than 20%. In doing so, the two hackers had discovered vulnerabilities in several large public companies in Spain. Their next target would be Europe's largest commercial bank, Banco Cantabrico. As part of their preparation for an attack, they always researched the target company in great depth. They learned about the culture of the company, how it was organized, where the vulnerabilities were hidden. At that moment, they were sitting together watching the annual general meeting of Banco Cantabrico. It was one of the biggest lenders in Europe, from the smallest personal loans to the largest and most complex corporate debt instruments. It was also the most successful mortgage provider in the region and therefore had a treasure trove of priceless data. Park listened carefully as Nuria Nueno, the head of Banco Cantabrico, presented the results of the company and talked about their plans for future growth. It was the first time he had listened to a woman chairing a company's annual general meeting. He admired the way she answered questions in a professional but conversational manner. Hey, Park, I've got something to show you. Not now, Kim, I'm concentrating. Look, said Kim. Kim rolled up the sleeve of his shirt to reveal a watch. It was old and scratched, but functioning perfectly. It had the unmistakable image of Mickey Mouse in the middle. The cartoon character's gloved hands were pointing at the numbers on the dial. Where did you get that from? Park whispered. I got it from a street vendor in Shanghai. Kim had just returned from an official trip to the People's Republic of China. He had been visiting the equivalent department in the Chinese government. They often exchanged information and coordinated attacks on Western targets. What the fuck? whispered Park. If you get caught with that, you'll get fired, or worse. Kim knew the risk he was running. He knew that Mickey Mouse was considered one of the greatest symbols of American decadence. He knew the supreme leader would disapprove, but he couldn't resist. Kim rolled his sleeve back down to cover the watch and winked at Park. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true, he said in his best American accent. At that moment, 
Kang, the divisional supervisor, appeared from around the corner. As always, he was pushing a trolley full of reports that he didn't understand. He stopped at the desks of Park and Kim and looked down at them condescendingly. Daily report. Here it is, sir, Park said as he handed over the document. The supervisor then asked him the usual questions. Have you observed any anomalies? No, sir. Have you crashed any systems? No, sir. Have you concluded any infiltrations? No, sir. The quarterly meeting will start at 7pm this evening. Don't be late. Kang put the report into a folder and moved on to the next cubicle. As soon as his back was turned, Kim turned to Park and gave him another wink and two thumbs up. Park couldn't help smiling. He felt like a parent who simultaneously admires and disapproves of their facetious little child. Okay, so now we are starting to build up a picture of the personalities of the two North Korean hackers, how they operate, and what their next objectives are. Let's listen once again to this paragraph, which includes a very important item of business vocabulary that is often misunderstood. The two hackers had discovered vulnerabilities in several large public companies in Spain. What is a public company? Well, the obvious answer seems to be a company owned by the government, right? But that is not correct. A company owned by the government is known as a state-owned company. So what is the English definition of a public company? Well, this means that the company is listed on the stock exchange, and therefore its shares can be bought and sold openly by members of the public, people like you and me. That's what makes it a public company. So Microsoft is a public company. So is Apple. So is Telefonica. Because you and I can go to the stock exchange and buy shares in those companies. In contrast, a private company is one that is not listed on the stock exchange. And therefore, you and I and the general public cannot freely buy and sell shares in this company. The big four accounting firms are all private companies. By that I mean Ernst & Young, Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers and KPMG. The big consulting companies, like McKinsey, they're all private companies. Many law firms are private companies. Now, the ownership structure of private companies, such as these, is actually quite secretive. Indeed, one of the benefits of being a private company is the ability to act in a more confidential manner. You see, public companies... By law, they have to release information about their strategy, their operations, and the financial health of the company on a regular basis. Have a listen to this sentence again. At that moment, they were sitting together watching the annual general meeting of Banco Cantabrico. So one of the things a public company is obliged to do is organize an annual general meeting, an AGM to which all 
of its shareholders are invited. And then anyone can ask the management a question. Another thing a public company has to do is produce an annual report, along with quarterly financial statements that are available to the public. So on the positive side, public companies have relatively easy access to capital. They can raise a lot of money through share issuance and bond issuance in the open markets. On the negative side, public companies face more scrutiny and regulation than private companies. Okay, let's move on to the next interesting topic. Have a listen to these sentences again. Park listened carefully as Nuria Nueno, the head of Banco Cantabrico, presented the results of the company and talked about their plans for future growth. It was the first time he had listened to a woman chairing a company's annual general meeting. Let's talk about gender issues in public companies. Is it unusual to have a woman as the president, the CEO, or the leader of a public company? Let's analyze the statistics. So when we look at universities, we see women outperforming men. For example, in the UK, 56% of bachelor degrees are awarded to women, and 60% of master's degrees are awarded to women. However, when we look at leadership roles within public companies, we see women dramatically underperform men. For example, in the top 100 public companies in the United Kingdom, there are only eight CEOs who are women. And for a long time, there were more men called Steve running the top companies in the UK than there were women. So what happens between university and the boardroom? Where do all these women go? For an excellent analysis of the issues underlying the gender inequality in senior positions of public companies, you should read a book called Lean In. It's written by Sheryl Sandberg. She is the COO of Facebook and the mentor of Mark Zuckerberg. And in her book, she provides a clear and convincing reason for the disparities in these numbers. She also suggests some practical solutions at an individual and a corporate level. So it is well worth a read. Okay, let's look at something a little bit simpler now. Have a listen to this sentence again. It was also the most successful mortgage provider in the region and therefore had a treasure trove of priceless data. Mortgage. That's a word that a lot of people mispronounce. It's spelt M-O-R-T-G-A-G-E. You know what it means, right? It's the money that you borrow from a bank in order to buy a house. The house then acts as collateral for the loan. In other words, if you can't repay the loan or pay the interest on that loan, then the bank will take your home. Now, interestingly, 
there is a crucial difference between the way mortgages operate in the US and the way they operate in some European countries like Spain. So in the United States, if you are unable to repay your mortgage or maintain the interest payments on that mortgage, then you lose your house. And that is the end of it. You walk away and you try to rebuild your life. Even if the value of the house is less than the value of your mortgage, it's not your responsibility. You simply give the keys to the bank and you walk away. And if there are any further losses, then the bank has to eat them. Now, this is not the case in Spain. So if you are unable to repay your mortgage in Spain, then you lose your house. But that is not the end of it. You do not walk away. You do not rebuild your life. If the value of your house is less than the value of your mortgage, you still have to pay the difference. So after the bank has taken your house, they take your car, they take part of your salary, then they take your children, your dog, your cat, and eventually they take your goldfish. It's absolutely brutal. Now, before I offend any of the listeners of this podcast who work at Spanish commercial banks, let's move on to the next exercise. We are going to do a pronunciation exercise that is related to finance. So here are five words that you would use in any kind of financial conversation, and they are commonly mispronounced. Here they are. Mortgage, interest, debt, loan, and bankruptcy. So let's start with mortgage. Repeat. Mortgage. First of all, the T is completely silent. Imagine it's not there. And secondly, the last syllable is very short. Guj. So let's put those two things together. Mortgage. Okay, the next word that is commonly mispronounced is the word interest. Now, I think that most native English speakers would pronounce this word with two syllables. Some of them might pronounce it with three syllables, interest. But most of us just pronounce it with two syllables. Interest. Okay, the third word is loan. L-O-A-N. Make sure that you are not pronouncing that word phonetically. It is not loan, it's loan. The fourth word is debt. It does have a B in it. I'm not exactly sure why it has a B in it, because that B is completely silent. We do not say debt, we just say debt. And finally, bankruptcy. Repeat after me, bankruptcy. Once again, there's a silent T in there at the end. It is not bankruptcy. It's just bankruptcy. So there you go. Five very important words. If you're having a discussion about finance, make sure that you are pronoun pronouncing each of those correctly. 
Right, we've reached the final exercise of today. It's a good one. It's interactive. Have a listen to these sentences again. Have you observed any anomalies? No, sir. Have you crashed any systems? No, sir. Have you concluded any infiltrations? No, sir. Observed, crashed, concluded. These are three regular past participles of the present perfect. And they're all written with an ED at the end. But that ED is pronounced in three different and distinctive ways. Observed with a D sound. Crashed with a T sound. And concluded with an ID sound. Native English speakers instinctively know which pronunciation to use. Because they learn the language first by listening and then by reading. Non-native English speakers can get quite confused because they often learn the language first through reading and then through listening. So let's see if you know how to differentiate between the D, the T and the ID sound. We're going to play a little game. I will tell you to observe the anomalies. And you will say out loud, I've already observed the anomalies. You will turn my imperative into a sentence using the present perfect. I will tell you to crash the system. And you will say, I've already crashed the system. You got it? I will tell you to do something and you will tell me that you've already done it. Okay, here we go. Six more. Explain the problem. Arrive on time. Guess the answer. Introduce the guests. Connect with me. Start the machine. Okay, how did you do? Are you clearly dif differentiating between the D, the T and the ID sounds? Here are the correct pronunciations. So the first two were with the D sound. I have already explained the problem. I have already arrived on time. The next two were with, were with the T sound. I have already guessed the answer. I have already introduced the guests. And the final two were with the id sound. I have already connected with you. I have already started the machine. So we will practice this again in future episodes. But my advice to you is listen carefully to how David Monteith, the narrator of the story, pronounces his past participles. Try to listen actively and try to differentiate between the different sounds that he makes for these different forms of the past participle. And on that note, we come to the end of today's class. If you would like more formalized business English classes, we can provide that for you. 
Just search Club Grattan on Google and you will find us. So until we meet again, keep practicing and remember, if you plan to get a mortgage, make sure that you fully understand the risks that you are running. <laughs>